Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 64, What's in a Name? Recorded September 2nd, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. You know, I have to struggle with my southern accent when I say productions. About half the time it comes out productions. Element OP Productions. So I have to I have to wear Element OP Productions. I don't know why that word, but there are certain words that uh, the Southern just jumps out, and that's one of them, production. All right. Welcome back, Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. How are you? Oh, running, running, running. There's no rest for the for the wicked or the weary. Yes. What about the wicked weary? Is that even oh, worse? I think so. I think then you're double whammied. <laughs> and Mr. Seth Anderson, the gooey kid. Hiya, Seth. Hello, Mark, Chris, and everyone in our Element OP universe. And a shout out to, um, I'm being told there's distorted audio in the stream. All right. But apparently it's just you. Just me? That's what it says, distorted audio Mark, uh, yet strange, just Mark. Interesting. You fought your... Southern accent too much. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Is that better, guys? Anyway. Uh, what was I saying? I don't remember. I'm sure it was important. No, it's not better? Well, that's going to bug me now. Uh-oh. Thanks a lot, Pete. You broke the show. Did that make it better? Me this time. If I turn it down there, did that make it better? Of course, Pete. He's like super um, picky about his audio. I was going to say, is he an autophile? <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, you know, I, there's a little, there's a little sibilance in the 48k band. It's a little, it's a little much there, and and you're really blatting out the the 150 uh, uh, spectrum there, right around that super low 150. That's that's a little much, and it just it just sounds. I, I don't know that I can listen to it unless you clean that out. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've gotten feedback like that from him before, actually. Uh, so your show sounds terrible. Well, what's wrong with it? Well, it's just uh, there's a little distortion in the upper EM spectrum. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, you know, I was having a habit of that. Sorry, it's I'm having a, a stream of consciousness moment. I think sounds painful. Overall, I mix too much bass into the show mix. I think I, I've just gotten a little carried away over the years with bass, just in general. Because I was listening to something the other day. Uh, I transitioned from, um, one, I don't remember what it was, One of the probably one of the Twitch shows, and then mine came on, and, and the bass was just, bah, just too much. And then another show came on, and their bass was even way more than mine. And I thought, you know, that maybe that's like a, a novice podcasting thing. Maybe we get carried away with with uh, with bass. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. That's for the art of podcasting. <laughs> Which this time next week will be on, right? Uh, well, no. Right. Yeah, well, anyway. Um Maybe I should make some notes for that show. It just occurred to me I haven't done anything for that show, and it's supposed to start in an hour. Anyway, so uh, about Linux. Yeah, Linux. Actually, the, that's the name of this show is Everyday Linux, actually. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Whenever we get around to it. I'm a little flustered tonight because a tragedy has befallen me. Um, and I'm, I'm actually um, I'm, I'm quite sad. Uh, heartbroken is really the word. Um, and as as those of you who have listened to this show or any of my shows for any length of time know, I'm I'm a barbecue aficionado. I like to barbecue, and every opportunity I have to um, um, barbecue, I do. Usually, anytime there's a long weekend, I'm barbecuing. I'm smoking uh, meat. So uh, today I had a big thirty pound brisket. In the smoker, I was going to show these Georgia folk what Texas barbecue is all about. They think barbecue is pork. I'm here to show them that it's not. It's beef. And my smoker caught fire. 
Oh no! And burned down. Um, it not only the meat with it, didn't it? Yeah, of course the meat's ruined. Oh. But my I would love ruined. that meat if I were there. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's raw in the middle and tough and crispy on the outside. Yeah. See, I had. Uh, I, I'm not. I don't know what happened. You know, this is my this is my smoker that I built that I've talked about a few times before, and and it's got a wooden superstructure, but it's it's lined with with steel that's you know should protect the. Uh, the wood, uh, and I don't know if it was a grease fire, uh, you know, maybe some fat dripped down and, and caught fire. I don't know, exactly know what happened. I had a good uh, hickory uh, smoke billowing out of it. It was going, and, and, I looked at, and I looked out the back window, and there was a little more smoke than I thought there should be, and it, it didn't smell like hickory anymore. It smelt, sm- smelt? It smelled, uh, you know, different, and so I thought I'll go down and check, and it's on the the back deck out so my the the way houses are built here in Atlanta often is you'll have a deck that's like 30 feet off the ground and then um uh basement area and then stuff below it so that's where this one this is under the deck so i went out uh out the basement door uh to uh open the door and the smoker was in flames uh um, oh no. yeah and of course the <laughs> the only water faucet in the backyard was right next to the smoker and I couldn't get to it because of the flames. So I ran upstairs and filled a pitcher of water from the sink and, uh, and yelled at my wife to rapidly do the same and put the fire out. No damage was done. Not a big deal. You know, the house was fine, but the smoker's ruined and the brisket is ruined and my dreams are ruined. Is this the first time you've used it since you've got there in Georgia? No, I used it, uh, last week or maybe two weeks ago. I have used it one other time. Um, so it, it must have got damaged somehow in the move and didn't realize it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it might have been an electrical fire. I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, but it's typically you know smokers burn at, at a low heat, so right. it doesn't usually get hot enough to catch anything on fire. Uh, but in this situation, something caught on fire, and the wooden superstructure uh went up like like crazy i'm i'm very lucky that no damage was done Uh, or you were sabotaged by one of the georgia natives that could be it (laughs) somebody who thinks pork is king um so you know my my 30 dollar brisket was gone my 300 dollar smoker is gone and my dreams and aspirations are gone as well well it makes way for smoker 2.0 yeah, not only that, but I've got uh, people expecting barbecue tomorrow. You know, I promised to feed like 30 people, and now I can't. So what I'll ended up having to do is cook ribs, which I have on hand. Of course, the brisket's gone, uh, in the oven. And, you know, they'll still taste good, but they won't be barbecue. Right. Man, that's a bummer. I I am very sad for you. Yeah, it's I, I wept a little. I did. It's, uh, I would have. It was it was tragic. I mean, this was not not only something I love doing, but also you know my creation. I designed this thing and built it, and and then I was standing there watching it burn. Well, like I say, now that it's out of the way, you have a reason to go to Smoker Two Point yeah, So that's the good that can come from it. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm Very sure at tragic. some point I will, but right now I'm in I'm in mourning. How long does morning last for a smoker, I wonder? I know my barbecue took me a month to get over before yeah. I had to replace that one, so And I don't I don't wanna be, you know, one of those um yuppie guys who just goes out and buys a smoker. See, I think that's that sort of goes against the essence of what barbecue is. You know, it's 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 peasants making do with what they've got, right? So the the, the if you don't know, the the southern tradition of slow smoke barbecue um is you know things are made out of of propane tanks and and old water heaters and just you you don't you know only yankees go buy a smoker southerners make them and they make them out of stuff they have laying around for the most part so i i just i don't want to be one of those guys who goes to home depot and says oh here's a nice one let me go buy that um the the problem with stuff you have laying around is your smoker is only going to be the size of a computer case. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, for the geeks, it doesn't quite, uh, it's not quite the same thing because nobody wants a smoker that size. Yeah. So this one, you know, it wasn't rustic. It was, I built it out of new material, but I built it with my hands. So that, you know, that felt like it made it okay. 
Um, but now it's gone. And yeah, I'll, I'll build another one someday. But you know, you don't. You just don't go out and buy a puppy the day after your dog dies. You know. Any bets on say next by? Uh, I'm going to say in two weeks you'll have another one at least started. Any bets? Uh, <laughs> you'll have something for the holidays. You can't go. You can't make it to a holiday season without doing something. So. Yeah, you're right. I, I have to smoke a turkey for Thanksgiving. So. Yeah, see? You're going to have to have it started in two weeks, otherwise you won't make that deadline. Um, <laughs> and no, to answer the question in the chat room, there there won't be any video. Uh, I am still down one laptop. Hopefully it should be fixed. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, as Pete is reminding me, I do have bacon curing in, in, in the fridge, so uh, I've got to find some way to cook that when it's done curing. Yeah, now if the bacon had been burnt, that would be a total loss. Yeah, that but. would I I would have been too too broken up to even do this show. You, you might have had to quit your job in morning, so that would have been too much. <laughs> well, let's not get carried away. Uh, <laughs> but uh moving on to something else that was actually very cool and I think this audience will appreciate um, I, I, it's been around for a while. It's not a new thing, but it was new to me. I discovered a couple of weeks ago this um, piece of hardware called the OBI, O-B-I-H-A-I. Um, and there are a couple of different models of OBI. And, and what it is, it's a small uh, SIP box, essentially. Very small, uh, like um, smaller than a deck of cards. It's very small. Uh, and I ordered one from elementopi.com slash Amazon for $39 in free shipping. And what, what this does is, is acts as a gateway between a traditional analog phone and a SIP provider such as Google Voice. So uh, it arrived on Thursday, and I set it up on Thursday evening, um, Friday evening. Yeah, it was Friday that I, I got to it. Um very simple procedure. I plugged it in, plugged uh, my regular cordless house phone into it, uh, went to the obitalk.com website, uh, and it said, pick up your phone and dial this code, and I did. And then it said, okay, your device is registered. You're good to go. How do you want to connect? And there was a button there for Google Voice. So I clicked Google Voice, and it said, enter your Google Voice username and password. And I did, and it said, you can now make and receive calls with your phone over Google Voice. It was that easy. It was a 10-minute setup. Wow. And it was it was it. It was done. Uh, so, yeah, now if you call my Google Voice number, it rings my home phone. And if I pick up my home phone, Google Voice routes the call. So, no cost. I mean, it costs $39 one time. And now I have a home phone with full, uh, you know, service to all of North America at no cost you know, for as long as Google provides that service. How cool is that? That's extremely That's cool. That's awesome. So that yeah, it's going into my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was, you know, I didn't expect much out of it, frankly. I did. I thought it would be hard to do. I didn't think it would work. Um, but yeah, it, you know, Pete in the chat room says better than magic Jack. That's right. You don't have to hook it up to a computer. You don't have to do anything. And there's no monthly fee, no annual fee. It's a one time buy the hardware and you're done. And say Google voice yanks that service. It doesn't care any SIP provider. There's lots of SIP providers out there. Some of them for as low as 80 cents a month. Um, and you just go out there and, and pick another one. And it's, so it's just, it's, it's a win, win situation. It really is. Um, so now I have a local uh, to Atlanta phone number that is my home phone that I don't pay anything for, and it routes through Google Voice. And so you get all the Google Voice goodness, right? So you've got the voicemail. Somebody calls me and leaves a voicemail. Google Voice sends it to my email box, and I can listen to it, you know, there. Or uh, it has the or call. Or read their transcript. I can, yeah, I can, I can <laughs> laugh at their transcript. Uh, or it's got the the call screening features where you can listen to somebody as they leave a message. You know, all those cool features that you that you would ordinarily get from Google Voice without actually needing a phone line. Now, there is one hitch, and that's to get a Google Voice number, you have to hook it to some phone number. Right. And um, so I already had a Google Voice number 
for both my cell phone and my wife's cell phone. So for this third one, I had to have some number to hook it to. So I just dialed in my office number <laughs> and that worked. So, um, you know, you just have to, the, the, if you've never done that, Google Voice calls whatever number you tell it to, puts a code up on the screen, you punch that code in and says, okay, you're verified. And then I check the box that disabled it. So no calls will ever go to that phone, but it, you know, it's registered to that phone. Right. So no one else can use that phone number at a later date. Uh, well, unless I delete it. Right. Right. But it's, you know, it's my direct line at the office, so I don't know anybody would. Right. Does it take, um, do like, what is the bandwidth requirements of that? I would assume it would be pretty light. Um, I don't know. I didn't look it up. Um, yeah. And if the uh, Pete saying in the chat room, the OB 110, I have the OB 100. It's just the regular thing. But if you have the OB 110, you can hook up a regular phone line too. If you have regular phone service. Uh, it'll uh, it'll work with both of those. And you can say, uh, like, if you only have local service, for any long-distance calls, go to the, the Google Voice. For local calls, go here. For 911 calls, that's the downside of using Google Voice. They don't do 911. But if you have, you know, uh, like a local telephone company, you can get their super basic package, and you get the 911 and local calls and all that, if that's the way you want to do it for the OB-110, which I think is $50 instead of $40. Man, it's a lot of money. still cheap. It's still cheap, though. For all that service, that's that's cheap. Yeah, and the calls are, you know, cell phone quality. They're not awesome, but they're good enough. Uh, and, I, of course, it depends on your bandwidth, I'm sure. Uh, if you're, uh, you know, Chris out there in, in lower Canada and you're only getting uh, 200K uh, upload, you know, I don't, I don't know how well that's going to work. It's not very good. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I've tried using Google Voice through the phone, and I mean, it works, but it, it's, it's like on a satellite phone. There's that huge delay in between, and you're done, and when then the other person hears that you're done. Yeah, but with my cable, uh, you know, high bandwidth, twenty-five megabits connection, it's, you know, it sounds great, and there's no lag and no echo or anything like that. So if you've got broadband but you don't want a home phone, this is a good solution. That's awesome. obtalk.com, or better yet, elementopi.com slash Amazon, and, and do a search for OBI, O-B-I-H-A-I. Cool stuff. Okay, moving right along. Chris, you've got good news coming, right? Uh, well, good and bad, both if you, you see both of my little nuggets here coming up. Yes, my good news is my new rig will be shipped to me here within, oh, well, at least the parts of my new rig will be here by Friday. So that's all sorts of exciting. Uh, it's quite a, it's a big, beefy machine that I can't wait to put together. Um, a Core i5 with, like, I think, six, either 16 or 32 gigs of RAM. I don't remember off the top of my head. But, yeah, it's a monster, and I can't wait to put it together. Awesome. That should be quite fun. And I'll have pictures up if you get if any of you guys are following me on Google Plus or on the fa or over on Facebook, there'll be pictures in my albums for it. So if you want to see what I'm building as I build it, I'll have pictures a lot as I go through the way. Cool. Now I saw that you bought a parts list rather than making your own. Yep, I it's completely pieced together myself. Um, this is the second one of the year that I've bought parts for and just built it myself. Um, the last one was done for a photographer here in town. Uh, she wanted as much as she could possibly get out of a thousand dollars with build cost. And I cut her a break for some photos that she's going to do for me at a later date. But, uh, yeah, I ended up getting twice what I could get for that money. It, when I parted it versus what she would have got from like one of the big, big box stores. And she's really happy with it. Yeah, I I used to build all my machines, uh, but then later it just became a a time versus ease of use issue. Uh, and now I just you know go to the box store and buy one. But you know it it's there's certain uh, there's a cool factor definitely to building your own. You can trick it out and you get to what you want. But um, too many times I got bitten by buying something. Um, 
that wasn't compatible with something else. You see, I, I've been part. I've been putting this parts list together for almost four weeks. So I've I've done my due diligence and finding out, making sure all the parts are compatible with each other. And this will be my first, um, my first experience with water cool. So we'll be seeing how that goes. It is a sealed water cooled system, so that's it's a little bit better than the than the reservoir and and everything else. But uh, it'll be my first experience with a water cool rig. They're not such a big deal. I mean, it's. It's really no different than slapping a heat sink on for the most part. Right, right. Well, but I'm, the thing I'm looking at is I wanted to keep it quiet. Um, because of the way my desk sits, it's going to have to sit up on top where I am. And so I'll be able to look at it every day, and it'll be all sorts of pretty with all the different colors and lights that I'm going to have in it or might disable. But I didn't want it loud. I didn't want to be sitting next to an F-14 taking off every time I turn it on. So that's why I went with the water cool because then I could have less fans keeping the same cool at least in theory we'll see how it works <laughs> and just in case i backed it up I, I did order a standard air-cooled heat sink if it doesn't work so belt and suspenders that's me <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's gonna be fun but on the sad notes um i lost my tried and true 64-bit thumb drive today Made me cry. It lost you, as in physically don't know where it is? No, no, as in it cracked the chip on the inside and it now no longer works. That's no fun. That's a bummer. I, I'm not very happy. Um, but on the, on, the, on the light side of the matter, they did uh, agree for an RMA, so I will get at least a new one that I'll have to treat with like it's glass because evidently it's a known issue with this particular thumb drive. It's the one that's encased in rubber, but the rubber flexes too much, so it ends up cracking the board inside. Hey, quick USB hack I read about. We may have some parents who listen, um, and I thought this was a cool idea. Uh, I read about a guy online who got some thumb drives with lanyards and painted them like neon fire engine red uh, and put contact information and stuff on the on a file on the drive. And when he took his kids to, I think it was Disney World or something, he put one of these around each of their necks and said, if you get separated, start crying like crazy and hand this to the first adult who shows up. And he actually did lose one of his kids. And and a security person found him, stuck it in there, saw the readme text file, said, here's his name, here's my cell phone number, here's his uh, my wife's cell phone number, and he likes M&Ms. And so when they got there, the kid was happily munching M&Ms, and, and they had called him on his cell phone. So, you know, as cheap as those things are, it's just a neat USB hack I thought I'd throw out there. That is cool. That's really neat. Of course, how long till hackers pay kids to cry and they can do the <laughs> auto-run <laughs> the auto run malware? That is pretty crazy. You've just opened up a new attack vector, Mark. <laughs> Pete in the chat room says, I should do the thumb drive thing for my French kids, but put an address in Europe. <laughs> Funny. Well, yeah. You know, yeah, you can make up some address. I don't have a kid. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and Chris, you went to the ER? That's bad. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't think it was a bad thing. Um, earlier this week, I was violently sick. Um, and it came out of nowhere, kind of spooked me a little bit violently sick to the point where I didn't go to work for two days. Um, on the first week of school? Second week. Okay. This is the second week of school for us. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things that just kind of spooked me. So I went to the clinic, the after hours clinic on Tuesday to say, you know, maybe I should get a checkout to see if maybe I, maybe I separated a rib or something. Cause I was, I was worried cause I was hurting so bad. And I evidently said the magic words that trigger the heart attack response. <laughs> so I went from, you know, a minor after-hours clinic visit to a all-bells-and-whistles fire alarm drill, basically, for me to have my heart checked and heart attack. And no one said the magic words heart attack, though, to me because that might cause somebody to have a heart attack. Right. And so, yeah, for the a final diagnostic was that I – sprained and bruised my diaphragm Monday morning from puking 
evidently. And then uh, that was the final word on it. But uh, remember, even if you say lower rib pain, they'll still trigger that as heart attack pain. So if you're going to go into the after hours clinic or the ER, don't say those magic words because otherwise you're going to end up with the same thing I did. And was this Sunday night, Monday morning? It was Monday morning. I went up to the – Monday morning was the violently ill. Tuesday was the ER run. And, of course, since I was home, I had my oldest son with me, and he was just completely oblivious and wondering why everyone was making a big deal out of everything. <laughs> well, we're so, glad yeah, you're okay now. Oh, yeah, yeah. perfectly fine. Um, I didn't have any – I didn't think I had a heart attack, and I was pretty sure I didn't, but everyone else seemed to think I did. Yeah, you know, well, better safe than sorry until you yeah, get that I, I, hospital bill. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm curious to find out what the bill's going to be when I get it back. So Now, I had a friend who went to the hospital complaining of tightness in his chest. They gave him an antacid and sent him home. Uh, the next morning, he was care-flighted to a hospital for a heart attack. So, you know, it's uh, uh, you know better safe than sorry. It really is. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I was just kind of surprised that they've had the all bells and whistles and five alarm fire type idea for lower rib pain is what I went in there complaining of. Hmm. So it was interesting. I'll have to make sure I make a list of words to never say in the ER. <laughs> <laughs> that and, might be kind of fun. And moving on, Seth, you have something in the notes that says you're drinking the EDL Kool-Aid. Yes. Um, you know, I decided to actually use Linux. You know, I've been looking for a, um, like a, not necessarily an iPod, but some type of MP3 player. And since I have no funds, I decided to use my uh, Linux running netbook and I'm using, and you know, the great thing about Linux packages is you really don't know the proper way to say it, but Amoric, A-M-A-R-O-K, I'm using that has like my iTunes clone to catch and save and record podcasts. So, and it's actually, it's working pretty good. You know, there's a couple extra steps I have to do, but it's nice. It, I download the, the um, podcast when I'm at home and I plug the, my netbook into my car stereo so I can listen to it on the way to work. Pretty cool. So I am now listening to podcasts again. I feel, uh, I now have something to listen to going to work rather than, you know, just the morning chatter DJ people. Well, you know, Apple, as of last week, has a patent on that process. So you are now uh, in violation of an Apple patent. Well, no, because I don't transfer it to another device. I download it and listen to it on the same device I download it on. Okay, so, I so you're okay. I'm yeah. Correct. And even if I did put it on a different one, it, it's a manual process. So I don't think that would be in violation. Like if I had to manually copy the file over to my MP3 player, I don't think that would break the copyright because it wouldn't be the software doing it for me. Okay, good. So you're not a felon. That's important. Yes. <laughs> I do not advocate breaking many laws on this show. So Just a few. Yeah. Just the ones we don't agree with. Right, which that would be one I would advocate breaking because it's, you know, I don't think you could, well, you obviously you can patent something like that. And if you have $100 billion sitting in the bank, you know, you got to waste your money on something. So. Okay. Uh, so before we get on to the uh, show topic, my brain just stopped working there for a second. Uh, we have our regular uh, section of the Linux news, which we call it Linux news, but it's not always Linux. It's just tech news. And sometimes right. it's not even that. Sometimes it's just stuff we find interesting. Right. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we should change it instead of Linux news to stuff we find entertaining. Or the yeah. EDL newscast. That way, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's. A... So finally, after um, how many years has it been out now? Three, four years? Finally. Six. More people are using Windows 7 than Windows XP. Yay! This, this is from Net Applications. I think the percentage is 42.76% um, uh, use Windows 7 globally and 42.52% use uh, Windows XP. So um, it only took it three years um, 
to overtake the leader. So, and, you know, and so Microsoft is its own biggest competitor, apparently. But yeah, I just thought, you know, getting into the news, that's a nice little thing to uh, kind of get us in that whole news mindset. But yeah, Windows 7 finally has more. And according to this stat, there's probably other stats that still show XP, that 11 year old operating system is still the biggest one on the internet. But well, that's anyway. the thing. They finally got a good operating system. And then, you know, with Vista and 7, you know, eye candy and a few UI enhancements isn't reason enough to upgrade. Right. So if people aren't upgrading, they're just buying new hardware. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, I mean, I'm using 7 as my primary computer, and I, I, I wonder what I would think if I had to go back and use XP on a regular basis. Uh, I know I lamented the fact when I moved to 7, I wonder if I would be as distraught if I had to go back down, so to speak. Hmm. Yeah, I, I still work on, in fact, the, the laptop I'm working on at this very moment is XP uh, because it's the, still the software that runs this mixer doesn't work in, in Windows Vista or 7. And the other laptop I'm using, is usually when I do the show, I've got uh, XP, Vista, and 7, and no Linux on the Linux show, sorry. Uh, <laughs> And so, but for, you know, for day to day, I've been with Windows Seven for a while now. But again, no compelling reason to upgrade. I, I switch seamlessly back and forth, and and don't miss much. I guess I like my Linux too much, guys. Well, you know, it's the same thing there. It's uh, when you move from one Linux to another, generally, it's just a few things here and there. I mean, you could be on um, Ubuntu or Fedora or an old version of something, and you know, it's just minor enhancements at this point. OSs have matured to the point that all we're doing is minor tweaks anymore. Yeah, that's true. All right, and next, yeah. WebOS. The zombie OS is about to launch a, a beta, sort of. Yes, uh, I actually think the beta, they, um, on Friday, so the... Uh, two days before we recorded the show, they actually released um, Open WebOS into beta. So, you know, they announced it a while back, and um, so right now it's finally beta, and they're still they're looking to hire people and make a go of it. And uh, so anyway, it's beta now. You can download it and see what you like about it or don't like about it. Um, you know, I know I, I liked... Palm has a company, and HP, you know, thought that would be a good company to destroy. Let's buy them. So they <laughs> they bought them and destroyed. You know, it's kind of funny. You know, 3Com spun off Palm because it was making too much money, apparently. And um, so HP bought Palm, and then HP bought 3Com. So they kind of got reunited after. Uh, and it feels yeah. so good. Yes. You know, and that's another company HP tore up. So. You know, if you have a company you don't like, get HP to buy them, and uh, that'll be the end of that. So anyway, Palm is, uh, they're on their way back, but I don't know if it will matter, you know, because it's basically a flavor of Linux. Um, I don't know how good it will be or not be, um, but uh, there's some, you know, they have some momentum, whatever that means, behind them, and uh, so people... Anyway, they're making a go of it. So WebOS did not die, or at least it's not dead yet. Huh. It looks interesting. I'll say it. It, it kind of looks like an old version of GNOME. The little screenshot they sent uh -huh. on that article. It looks like an older, the old GNOME 2.0 version. Because right. the dual title bars and. Matter of fact, I would say that is running GNOME 2. Point something. Yeah, I I don't I'm not that familiar to know exactly what it is, but um, and I, I haven't dug into its technical specs, but it probably isn't GNOME. It probably just gonna kind of emulate it, um, or it's a very cu heavily customized maybe. Yeah. All right, and a little more. Speaking of HP, uh, they have decided that when it comes to the big iron. They're not going to use their special Unix anymore. They're going to use Linux. Right. Uh, moving, f I mean, they still have their Itanium, but 
a mini company said that they were ditching Itanium. Uh, Red Hat isn't, and Oracle. And when they said that they weren't going to support Itanium moving forward, HP decided that, I guess to stay relevant, they're moving their, their big iron stacks to uh, Odyssey on Linux. They will still support, like, you know, it's Itanium will still be supported, but it's like their next version isn't going to be whatever version, whatever it's going to be, Linux version 1. I guess. So, um, you know, and this is actually an older story. This broke in July, but it just wanted, and I just like to remind people, you know, we're everyday Linux. And if you're on the internet, you're using Linux because, uh, so many, uh, net, um, internet services are open source and Linux that even when you don't know you're using it, you're using it. And here is an example where Linux is gaining even more, in the back end, and uh, it's kind of displacing its dad, so to speak, uh, in Unix. You know, I would say, um, I think it's a safe generalization to say that every data or voice packet that goes from one person to another goes across either Linux or Unix at some point. If it goes over the, the public switch telephone network in any way, or over the internet in any way, it's going to at some point touch a Unix. I or, more, not, or more than once. Right. It yeah, is, I wouldn't disagree with that. It is that huge. It's just, it's still almost unknown on the desktop, but it's all over the place. Right. Um. Oh, gosh. Do we have to do another malware story? Linux well, malware, really? You know, it's... Part of the thing is I was reading the comments about this and, you know, and it was like there were Linux fanboys talking about how impregnable Linux is. And um, it's just you need to know it's not one of those I run Linux, therefore I don't have to think about security. And the one thing about this one is it seems to be targeting um, both Mac and Linux to still um internet passwords so and it's not necessarily where it's attacking the os itself but it's trying to steal passwords from opera firefox chrome and chromium as well as like thunderbird cmonkey you know your internet type applications so um i i just like to report on it to l let people remind people that you need to be conscious of security you know you might not you don't necessarily have to be you know, run, um, you know, run some type of firewall as your base OS and your Linux and a VM. But, you know, you need some type of, you need to be conscious of security because just because you're running Linux, while it is more armored and stronger and more resistant to infections, it's not impregnable. <laughs> I cannot talk. Well, and, and the, the reality is, the vast majority, you know, in the upper 90 percentile of malware today isn't the classic virus. It's right. something designed to capture information or to redirect you to uh, to another website. It's it's really the user doing the action, and it's uh, the, the malware being surreptitious on the back end. And since so many of these things are web-based, uh, either using the web stacks or infecting a web host, um, yeah, it, it it affects Linux users as much as anyone, even iOS or Android, you know, because it it doesn't really matter how you're accessing the web page; it just matters that you're accessing the web page. Right. The classic spear phishing attack is completely OS agnostic. So yeah, I think it's good to bring that up every now and then because you do still hear those neckbeards who say if you use Linux, you can't get a virus. And that's just not true. Right. And that's, you know, and so, I mean, again, you know, I'm sure we could fill a podcast with these kind of stories all the time. And I don't really want to do that. But I, it's just, you know, and, and the thing, like the file structure in this particular infection seems to have a Linux type file structure. It's not looking for like documents and settings, all users. It's looking for you know, whatever the, and, you know, and they don't go into the super technical details on this newscast, but it was geared towards Linux to steal internet passwords. So, um, anyway, I just wanted, just want people to be aware. There you go.
And another one that's sort of uh, similar to a story we talked about last week is uh, Linux uh, is looking more and more appealing to game developers and gamers themselves. Yeah, and a lot of this has to do with uh, apparently uh, like Valve co-founder Gabe Newell. He basically says Windows 8 is a catastrophe uh, when it comes to a uh, gaming environment and, you know, uh, valve announced that steam is coming to Linux. And, uh, it seems like, you know, Linux is maturing enough to the point to where it granted, there's still not as many titles as, uh, there are like in a windows probably, or even Mac, but it seems to be mature enough that you can develop games for it and good games that are, you know, full of eye candy and pretty and all of that. So it looks like it could be, you know, maybe the, um, maybe, you know, cause like right now in the, you know, windows is the gaming platform on computers, you know, um, it, that's where most of them are, but it looks like that Linux could be, uh, a worthy competitor to that. Yeah, I think uh, I like this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris, a, I thought of you. So it's a good point that the Windows Eight Microsoft is really uh, well, you know, and they did it with Vista to some extent too, and to XP to a large extent. They they are um, showing a greater willingness to just dump on existing users. For so long, legacy users were such a big deal. And now they're sort of the corporate mentality is moving away from caring about legacy users. So Windows 8 really dumps on a lot of existing developers. And so they're just going to move elsewhere. And Linux is now stable enough and uh, easily uh, available and, and understood enough that that's where they're going. And uh, it's kind of cool to see that. Well, and like I was saying, I think it was last week, about how Valve found that their games barely doing any little not even doing any graphic tweaking to this their code but just rewriting it for um, instead of direct 3d going to OpenGL, they had a speed bump with no tweaking it just shows that OpenGL renders these higher end graphics at a little bit better rate than directx 3d did so it'll be interesting to see how many times we see uh, the new AAA games come out with linux as a as a a, a staple in it instead of as an add-on Cool. Yeah. All right, and our last one is sort of a dovetail to the uh, the the show topic at hand. We, we we alluded to it a little bit with the title. What's in a name? The idea tonight is to just talk about some of the most bizarre named Linux distributions we could find. It was the whole beefy miracle conversation that that got <laughs> us to thinking about it. And so it was. We just we don't we're not looking at the usability of the OS. We're not looking about how stable it. We're just looking at names. Uh, but before we get there, we'll talk about what, uh, according to IDG and Gartner, uh, the top five Linux distributions are. Yes, and there was actually a tie for number four between Debian and Fedora. Um, and I'll just kind of yes, beefy miracle, wah, um, yeah. And number three, Ubuntu. So uh, you know, Unity kind of knocked Ubuntu off the top. Uh, number two is one I, I've seen some, uh, I haven't played with it yet, but, um, uh, Magia, which is the, uh, community fork of Mandriva Linux. And of course, number one is everybody's favorite darling of the month, uh, Mint Linux or Linux Mint. Um, so those are the top five, um, of the last few months. Yeah. So Debian, um, are named, the developers are, uh, Ian and his wife, Deb, Debian, um, Fedora is a playoff of Red Hat. Yeah. Ubuntu is a South African word that means humanity or uh, being part of community. Uh, so that makes sense. Magia, I think, um, you know, it used to be called Mandrake, and then they got sued for that. Yeah, um, and they went to Mandriva. Then it was Mandriva, which didn't mean anything. And now Magia is kind of getting back to the magic name a little bit. Um, and then Mint, who knows why they picked that one? So it just wanted minty goodness, I guess. But now we're going to look at names that we have no idea where they came from, and maybe we'll come up with something. But I kind of think we won't. 
And the first one on the list is honestly one that uh, sounds really appealing to me, Epidemic Linux. Because when I think of Linux, I think of, <laughs> of you know, millions of people getting sick. Sweet. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you know, and actually I pair it with the next one I found, BootMed. So if you catch <laughs> if you catch Epidemic Linux, you need to find a BootMed live CD and run it. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what is in a name. I don't know why you would want to call something Epidemic if you want. I mean, hey, you want an Epidemic? No, thank you. We don't want an Epidemic on our hands. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. But here's a care BootMed. Yeah. So we wow. uh, it's uh. Epidemic is a a, uh, a Debian-based distro. Lots I'm of guessing. things have spun off of Debian. Yeah, Debian's like the grandpappy of like everything. Um, but I would say, from what I'm look, I'm trying to read the the language. I think it's based in Brazil or South America somewhere. And so I'm saying the homepage itself is sitting in what looks. I from what I from my little knowledge of foreign language, I would say it's Spanish. And BootMed is a a uh, rescue boot disk using yep. Linux. But yes. yeah, if you ha- if you got an epidemic, BootMed could help you out. <laughs> I uh, might I might research BootMed. I I'm, I'm always looking for better bigger and better versions of uh boot environments to get things to clean off bugs and whatnot for work. And you know, geeks are often into space and sci-fi and that sort of thing. So uh, it makes sense that we would have a uh, Linux distribution called Voyager OS. Yeah, that, that's why I put it on here is because I thought it was a Star Trek thing. <laughs> and it's in French, the website, so I don't know anything about it. Voyager OS. It probably gives up a lot. But, you know, <laughs> we surrender. It's an epidemic of surrender. Um, I don't speak much French, but I do see that right there on the top of the page says um, known problems Wi-Fi. So it must be a, a, a Ubuntu or Debian-based uh, distro. <laughs> Linux has trouble with Wi-Fi. What's up with that? Yeah, that's, no one wants that's to why I went with Mint. That's why I eventually, I ultimately switched to Mint on my netbook was because the latest version of Ubuntu dropped support for the Wi-Fi uh, that uh, my netbook uses. So I had to find something that still had it in there. And if your uh, operating system is a little too bloated, try Diet PC, which is, uh, what I love acronyms that aren't actually acronyms. Diskless Embedded Technology Personal Computer. It's wow. a thin. It's an open source thin client. Diet PC. So thin client. Diet PC. Yeah, they were trying to be clever there. Yes, and, and I guess your goal, your goal is to become Tiny Me. So, <laughs> well, Tiny you, Me Linux. Then, it, then you need damn small Linux. See, you, get, right. you use Diet PC, and then you become damn small Linux, and it's perfect. <laughs> Uh, or puppy. Well, that doesn't really work, does it? Uh, yeah. Okay. The next if you one. Want to stay on your floor? You could have puppy Linux. <laughs> I guess so, if you started out with yellow dog Linux, and you need something smaller, you could go with puppy. <laughs> so. I don't think yellow dogs in development anymore, isn't it? I haven't looked for a long time. I thought they dropped. Well, it's you know those slackers over at Slackware um, caused it. I'm sure in some way. I, I don't know why. I just had to say Slackware. So tiny me, yes. The next one you said there is uh, just designed to be a minimalist in, 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 a minimalist distribution of Linux. Wow, my brain just froze right there. Uh, so yeah, um, puppy, damn small Linux, tiny me PC. I, tiny, you know, okay, whatever. I, I think we're trying to be a little too clever here, guys. But yeah, yeah. a lot of failing miserably. And you know, before you can make diamonds, you need some charcoal, and for that you or not charcoal, but some coal. For that, you go with Carbon Mountain Linux. And I can't get to Carbon Mountain to even look at the homepage. Yeah, I've been able to at all since since I, I tried the links. 
I keep getting the 404, so maybe I just can't get to it. Well, I I found this off of a uh, like a list of distros, so I don't seem to be able to reach it either. So maybe it is a dead one. So it already died. Yes, which was bummer. This was actually one that I wanted to try because it is apparently a bare metal hypervisor um, based on Linux KVM. So. Mm. Uh, but we all we cared about was the name anyway. Right. So, <laughs> and we've talked about this one before, but it's got to be yep. on the list. The Ubuntu Satanic Edition. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and that's why I paired it with the Trinity Rescue Kit that is apparently like a Christian witnessing tool for the, <laughs> for the Ubuntu Satanic Editions out there. Um, but yeah, I... You can't talk about weird Linux distros without talking about the satanic edition of Ubuntu. Which I believe is version up to version 6.6.6 at this point. I'm not sure. I think it started out at version 6.6.6. <laughs> They're all version 6.6.6. Um, and, of course, once you're de- uh, done dealing with Satan, you you need to, to go the other way and look at the Trinity Rescue Kit. So Trinity Linux. And I've used Trinity. And if anyone wants to know, that is actually a really good rescue CD. It's one of my first go-to ones. They call it CPR for your computer. Yep. It's, it's not, it's actually a really good, it's not even really, you can't even call it a, a desktop because you, all you get is a text-based menus that you run tools from. So it's not really a operating or not really an operating system, but more of a collection of tools. And then some uh, some responses from the chat room. Uh, GNU sense, but not G N U, G N E W, sense yep. Linux. Gen two, everybody's favorite penguin. Gen two penguin. Um, Has anybody ever tried to run Gen two? You know, I would like to say I have, just for the geek cred, but no, I haven't. I tried to install it one time back when you had to re when you had to code or in, when you had to compile it yourself from scratch and about five lines in I said nope this is stupid I'm going back to Red Hat <laughs> <laughs> and I understand the point of it I can I can realize the reason for it but why when you only gain a, a hundredth of a millisecond speed or whatever but you know for some people it's you know the journey is it's not the destination it's the journey yeah and they yeah. like doing that they like to and you know Debian is still a really uh, clunky and difficult distribution to set up they, because they just haven't really worked on it at all. They don't care. That industry, that uh, community doesn't care about a smooth, slick installer. Yeah, and one that we might could get to sponsor uh, the tight-wide tech would be Frugalware. Uh, you know, so. Frugalware Linux. <laughs> yes. Nice. I like it. That one works. <laughs> All right, so that was just a lighthearted romp through some of the 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 odd the more odder names, more odderness ditty names. Um, <laughs> see, I, I've inhaled all those fumes from the burning plywood um, uh, in in the Linux world, and there's you know millions of them out there. We we didn't we just barely scratched the surface. We were just having a little fun with the fact that. Uh, um, and there'll be two millions by this time tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. That's just it. You know, it's like when you go online and you want to set up a new uh, username, and uh, Big Stallion Stud is already taken. So you got to go do Big Stallion Stud eleven, and that's already taken. And uh, you know, it's the the there's so many Linux distributions, all the good names are taken. And I'm I'm fully yeah. expecting someday to just see like an XXQY743 where they just sort of drag their fingers across the keyboard, and that's that's our Linux distribution. <laughs> keyboard Puke Linux. That would be a good name. Just whatever you can hit on the keyboard. Qu- QWERTY Linux. There you go. Yeah, QAZ Linux I think is still a viable option. You know what? I'm going to Google QWERTY Linux right now and see what comes up. <laughs> It's going to have something about keyboards. No, darn. Okay. I'm going wait to do. Minute. Wait, did you what find is, one? What is QAZ Linux um, from about.com? I have to look at this. 
I can't believe that. <laughs> QAZ Linux. QAZ. That's interesting. Oh, QAZ was apparently a Trojan in result in relation to the Y2K thing. Okay. Okay. So. Ooh. <laughs> anyway. So there's fun with Linux names. And if you thought this show uh, content was a little lame, we agree with you. This was lame because all we could think of was a couple of articles and let's make fun of some names. So please, I'm begging you, go to elementop.com, go to the the uh, Linux, the Everyday Linux forums, and suggest some show topics because we're out. We're we're terrible. We suck at this. We need your help. We're running on empty. Fill ne- us up. Next week, it'll be Toe Jam Linux, because uh, we just got nothing. <laughs> so help us out here, people. Come and um, and give us some show topics. By the way, a quick uh, uh, you know business announcement about the uh, website. The comment spam was just killing me, and there were no real comments, so I've just turned off commenting. The forums are still there. But anonymous commenting, you know, it was a ratio of 99.999 to 1 of, of real uh, comments to spam. So uh, I've just turned that off. If there's a, you know, public outrage, I'll turn it back on. But right now I, I have no reason to. And interestingly, I don't know why. I don't know what it is. Uh, but uh, reCAPTCHA has totally stopped working for me. It just doesn't stop the bots anymore. So either they've cracked reCAPTCHA or they've just gotten that good at OCR. Uh, I don't know. So I've put a new um, CAPTCHA on there where you have to answer a question, and they're questions I made up. Uh, So it's like, (laughs) what is the fourth word of this sentence? And so a human can answer that. What, What are the first and last letters of the English alphabet? So there are questions I made up, and you know, so a bot isn't hopefully going to be able to figure that out. But uh, so far, that's cut down on the spam registrations and stuff by changing from recapture. Recapture was awesome for a while, but I'm guessing it's been cracked, or you know, or maybe there's, um, you know, a farm of low-paid Indian people whose job is to go out to, to random websites and crack recapture. I don't know. Well, I think they do that whenever they're uh, in between the uh, Microsoft security calls that they're doing. <laughs> so, or mining for gold in Warcraft. Yeah. Or World of Warcraft. That's funny. Okay, so uh, that's all I got. Chris, do you have a command line tip of the week? No, I don't this week, everybody. It's bum. just been too nuts for me. Yeah, lazy I- bum. I I will I will declare that it was a long and hard week at work. So that's my that's my uh, uh, excuse. You think I, one trip to the hospital is enough to get you out of it? Well, I quit guess, telling well, people you have a heart attack. Uh. <laughs> well, I was hoping that maybe that some of the workload would come off to me if uh, so they realized I I almost had, if they thought I had a heart attack, but that didn't work so good. No, they're like. He could go any minute. We got to get him to do a bunch of stuff now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it turned out to be. I got back to work Wednesday morning. They went, "Where were you?" In the hospital for what they thought was a heart attack. And they went, "Oh, well, I have this laundry list of things that need to be done by Friday. Go." It's like really, that's what you do for a guy who just might have possibly but didn't have a heart attack. Great. Well, if you had had a heart attack. Then they would have given you till Tuesday to do it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, possibly. Possibly. All right, Seth, what is our end user slash random Seth brain dropping of the week? Well, I uh, I like mangas, which are, you know, the Japanese comic books. And uh, I'm putting a link to where you can go read them online, manga dash or manga, however you want to say it, dash access.com. I'm a big fan of Bleach, and I've read some of the others that I really like. So, if you like them um, and you uh, can't wait for the books to come out in English, you can go look at them here. Or this way, you can buy the book, leave it at home, and access them from wherever. Um, MangaAccess.com uh, is a – there are several of them out there, but this is like the best one I have found for reading mangas. And if you don't know what a manga is, we'll go to MangaAccess.com, pick on one, and uh, – 
give it a read. See if you like it. Yeah, I got nothing. I've never. I don't know what that word even means. Well, like I say, they're Japanese comic books. Okay. Uh, yep. And they, um, this site, like, um, you know, of course, whenever it comes out, they're in Japanese, and people scan them in and they translate it into English, and so you read it in English, and it's kind of cool because you have to read from uh, right to left um, on the pages. Okay. There well, you go. I'm going to wrap this up because that was just too weird for me. Uh, and, <laughs> and say, I broke the random meter. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Please give us some show topics so that we don't have to have Seth's manga hour next week. Um, uh, is there a I manga? can do a full hour on that. Quick, so Google Mango Linux and see if there's one of those. Anyway, uh, thanks, Seth. Thanks for Chris. And for now, I'm going to say that's it for this week's episode of Everyday Linux. Ubuntu, the Ubuntu Linux manga. There we go. A manga <laughs> about Ubuntu Linux? Um, is a Japanese manga series featuring Ubuntu Linux. Three school students in a system that... Oh, I'm gonna... Okay, I'm gonna have to look at this. Alright, you just made me very sad. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye!